Coming Out Black is an online community built to support and celebrate our First Nations mob in the LGBTQIA community. We've developed this podcast to share our stories and we want you to join us for these conversations. Welcome to another episode of Coming Out Black. In this episode, you'll listen to me, Matika Little, as I sit down with the multi-talented drag performer Jojo Zaho for a conversation that dives deeper than drag and allows us to get to know more about the man behind the drag. I'll let John introduce himself, but before I do, I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land I'm recording on today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Um, I guess basically I'll let you introduce yourself in your own words. You know, who's your mob, where are you from, all that jazz. So um, most people know me as Jojo Zaho, um, but I'm also known as John Ridgeway. I'm a uh, Biripai man from Newcastle, New South Wales. By the beaches. Yes, I love a bit of beach in the bush. Um, so, of course, as you said, most people do know you as Jojo. That's how I discovered you. I've I've seen you perform live before and you're incredible and amazing outfits and obviously stunning. Um, and, you know, that. you've done <laughs> <laughs> uh, Black Divas. I've seen you in Miss First Nations before. So many incredible things. Um, how did you, I guess, get into drag? How long have you been doing this for? Um, so I started drag uh, 2015. About five years, oh God, five years, five years ago. (laughs) And it was mostly a political response. Mm. So it was around the marriage equality debate when I was living in Dubbo. And there was a a meeting that members of the public were allowed to sit in on at the council chambers. And, you know, they were discussing the the debate and those for and against it. And they they were all explaining why they were for it or why they were against it. So it was, it was very good insight. Um, and uh, one of the Indigenous, the only Indigenous council member got up and he was explaining he knows what it's like to be discriminated against on something that he has no control over, like his um, Aboriginality, his skin colour. And then he finished it with a but. And so I naturally I leaned in and basically went along the lines that homosexual, saying that homosexuality is not part of the Indigenous culture. Oh, wow. To which I was just like, what? Did, did we all hear the same thing? Did he just actually say that? <laughs> and then later that year, Dubbo was having their first annual Pride March. Oh, wow. And it was amazing. It was organised by um, Nicholas Steep in conjunction with uh, Headspace Dubbo. And so they were having that and I decided, well, bugger him. I can't really flip him off in the middle of the council chambers. <laughs> so I... um. I decided to make a, well, I, a friend of mine and I made a dress out of the Indigenous flag on the top half from the waist up, and it was the gay pride flag from the waist down. So it was like a three-metre-long train of just pure mm-hmm. Fabriginality. <laughs> and it's, I just haven't looked back since, really. It's just snowballed from there. Amazing. I think that's really cool that uh, drag for you was you know, a, a political statement and a way for you to raise your voice and be heard and, and say, hey, this is something I disagree with and this is what I want to stand for. Have you continued that on with looks in the future or things you've done in community? Oh, definitely. Uh, like the biggest reason for me doing it in Dubbo was 
he can say and think whatever he wants, but there are real people in Dubbo and it's a highly Indigenous community. So for me, it was also halfway through walking, it kind of clicked in me that this isn't just about my response. It's also about the representation that communities need in order for community members to feel accepted. So it's a big part of my drag, huge part, just being the representation that I didn't have. I didn't necessarily need a six foot black man dressed fabulously (laughs) for me to feel some sort of comfort. But at the same time, it would have provided me an unknown side of comfort that might have made my development or I don't want to say journey because it just reminds me of year 12 HSC. (laughs) My um, experience coming to terms with my sexuality might have made it a bit easier. Yeah, absolutely. And when, what was that journey like for you, I guess? Were you someone who came out really early in life or a little later? No, I I actually came out two years, three years prior to that, two years prior. I think I was like 22 when I came out. And it wasn't from you know being worried that my family would reject me or that my friends wouldn't wouldn't want to be my friends anymore because to be fair I only had two main friends that I really cared about um <laughs> my two best friends from high school and like I knew they couldn't care less my family's always mm-hmm. been supportive with with that kind of discussion coming up mum's always been like I don't care as long as you're not an asshole <laughs> and so it was more just trying to just like slide it in under the breath there because I'm like am I allowed to swear is that a swear word <laughs> Um, and so yeah so it was mostly me coming to terms with it and it was it was not mostly like 100% reliant on me accepting that which I just couldn't do for the longest time like purely it's just I wasn't ready to accept it I didn't want to accept it I knew that nothing for me was going to be easy if this was what it was so I did the best Mm -hmm. that I could to deny it and bury it and I like experience certain things and then I'd feel gross afterwards and then I just got to a point where I was like I don't really care anymore it is what it is I can't change it I've been trying for years and nothing's working I like men (laughs) (laughs) this was pretty much it and was that like was that empowering or was that scary how did that feel uh it was both it was both scary and empowering and uplifting at the same time it was because you know when you're in the closet it's just this the biggest secret of your life that you just need to keep hidden yeah and so any chances of it being exposed is detrimental so you do whatever you can to make sure that no one ever suspects like i i don't really hide the fact that when i was in the closet i was a bit of a homophobic twat to deflect gaze from me and onto somebody else wow yeah and you know that's a very real thing that happens they often say you know most homophobic homophobic people are in fact homosexuals and it's as me growing up the way i did i'm like yeah i can see that because you know i was pretty homophobic deflecting it as much as i could and so once I came out, it was like trying to re, not really reprogram myself, but like learning who I was from the beginning yeah. almost. And learning not to dislike that as well. Exactly. Not hating it, not loving it, but being at peace with it and accepting it. Mm-hmm. And now I love it. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. Hooray. Yeah. Um, and so, of course, you've come to this place where I see how incredibly powerful and unapologetically yourself you are I'm sure just as much hopefully when you're not in drag as when you are in drag what's been the community response to that have you been able to reach people and have people talked about how you being this as you say fabriginal queen has impacted them and their journeys 
they do and i always get super shy about it (laughs) it's one of those things that i'm like this is my intent this is what i'm doing and like when it's actually happening i'm like oh okay that's cool this is awesome but like also i'm just doing what i can like this journey's on you but i'm glad i could help yeah absolutely it's just i don't know if it can be humbling and still be humble but it is it's just one of those things that i just really enjoy hearing and I often, most of the time I just, I read it through an inbox and it just kind of reminds me why I do what I do, which is just an unstoppable force behind me. Yeah, absolutely. I find like what you say about social media and being able to reach people through there, it's, I find it so wonderful. I'm seeing so many incredible Indigenous queer performers, artists and musicians. Yeah. Yeah. and I feel like social media has played a really big part in bringing that all together. Not necessarily that it wasn't there before. I mean, when you started drag, did you know a lot of queer Indigenous people? Oh, God, no. I knew two queens. I knew of two queens. I didn't know any Indigenous mm-hmm. queens, but I knew of two, and that was the Dreamtime Divas. Mm-hmm. Those were the only two Indigenous queens that I knew, and they'd only pop up like once in a blue moon on my newsfeed because I didn't didn't really know that much of a big queer Indigenous community. It was mm-hmm. mostly just the queer community that was predominantly white where I lived in Dubbo. So I didn't really see that until Miss First Nation. And then like I drowned in it and soaked it up like a sponge. <laughs> <laughs> and what's that experience been like for you? It's just incredible. I, the first year, you know, going to Darwin, like I'd, I've lived out way out back before. Um, I spent a couple of years as a, a couple of months, I think it was six months when I was about 10, year three on uh, Warburton Mission in uh, Northern Territory, or WA, it's right next to the border, I can't remember where. I'd seen that kind of community, but going up to Darwin was just a big eye-opener as well because I was expecting this city and it's just dust and shrubs and swamps. And then I we got to the hotel and I met all the queens and, like, instantly it was just this this comforting feeling that I'm not the only Koori man doing this. <laughs> there's more of us and it was just good to to kind of build that sisterhood i ended up sharing the room with one of the dreamtime divas which was no vagina amazing what how full circle is that yeah very full circle and like we have the best relationship like she's just such an amazing person but overall the experience was just eye-opening it was fun and very nerve-wracking because before that i had only ever been on stage once Oh. I'd only performed on stage once prior to that. And it was a, a gig that I'd got after I had made it to the final. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> so pressure was on. Um, but I did really good. Like, I ha- obviously, like, scoring-wise, I think that year I got uh, Miss Photogenic, Best National Costume, and Second Runner-Up. Yes, Queen. Which was just amazing. Like, I wasn't expecting any, but I was just like, I'm just here to have a good time. I'm just here to meet other Curry Queens. Um, but it was amazing. I think what I love most about Miss First Nation is that with each year, it kind of the, all the Queens in that year form a very strong sisterhood, which is very empowering and uplifting and supporting because you know that no matter what, like you've always got them girls there. That's very true. I think it's also nice how, because of shows like Drag Race and and social media as well, drag has become such a massive mainstream thing that I see our Indigenous Queens really being able to represent our culture and our community and how fabulous we all are to allies as well, to non-Indigenous people. Like, of course, I'm going to be there in the crowd cheering because it's a black queen, but to look beside me and see someone who's non-Indigenous also screaming for a black queen is, like, really wonderful to see so many communities come together to celebrate this art form. 
Exactly. And in its own kind of way, it, it's bridging the gap. Because mm-hmm. not, you know, not a lot of people know about Indigenous struggles and, and how we're treated oftentimes. But when they adore a queen and they follow them on everything and then that queen starts to share her stories, they kind of, they see another uh, another layer of the onion, I guess you we could use as a metaphor. They see another layer of it and then they start to care more about that as well. And it kind of, it has a domino effect. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, and so how's life been during COVID? I mean, uh, have you been able to perform in person anywhere or have you been doing online? Like how has this shifted the way in which you perform and express that? Oh, it's shifted in a way that it's just, it's unknown territory. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I mean, a few years ago, drag itself was unknown territory and then I navigated through that and I'm like, yep, sweet, I've got it, I know the system. <laughs> and COVID happened and I'm just like, all right, everything's out the window now. Um, yeah. So I was doing some online stuff and then Timberlina, another Indigenous queen from Newcastle, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> was putting online shows at a studio where we We'd have like this amazing studio and lights and it was just like, oh, it's just insane, mm-hmm. the level of production. And so we were doing performances like that as well. And I've been down to Sydney once so far mm-hmm. um, to do a performance, but that's about it. As much as I'd like to say I've come out with a million and one different gowns that I've been using quarantine time to get through some stuff, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been doing during quarantine time? To be honest, I've enjoyed being a little, uh, enjoyed being a boy. <laughs> Yep, great, I've got love chest it. Hair, I've got armpit hair. I currently have a beard going, which unfortunately has to go on Sunday because oh, drag. Um, but it's also been nice to to not have to stress about upcoming gigs or anything like that, and being able to spend some more time with my partner, which has been amazing. That's so nice. But I'm definitely bored and can't wait to get back in the sequin gown. <laughs> Yeah, and how does your, of course, you have a lovely partner. How do they feel about all of the incredible attention you get as Jojo? Um, He loves it, absolutely loves it, fully supportive. Um, I think if you scroll through Jojo's Instagram, like you'll see some nights we'll have a a themed event on and he'll dress up just as much as I do, although he dresses up in like boy costumes. (laughs) I think the last one was Halloween last year. He went, oh, we did like a a 70s kind of um, workout look, kind of like a bogan interracial Catherine Kel night, um, which was super fun, although he got more compliments than me because I was in a tracksuit and he was in short shorts with a tank, like a a crop tank top. Love it. Um, but no, absolutely loves it and is always fully supportive of it. Incredible. That's awesome. How long have you guys been together? Um, two, almost three years now. That's awesome. Yeah. So in terms of like a normal heterosexual relationship, not very long, but in gay years, we're practically married. Oh, pretty much, isn't it? <laughs> you guys are like right behind lesbians and how fast things move. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so did you find, prior to finding your, your Prince Charming, um, how was dating as, as an Indigenous man who also does drag? Um, difficult, very difficult. It wasn't something that I would initially announce. And then I was like, I don't really want anyone in my life that's not okay with it. So then I started announcing it straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, like anyone who would message me on Grinder, obviously that was mostly just for sex. But anyone that would try and like interact with me in a way that could potentially lead to dating, like always like, hey, I'm Indigenous, proud about it. I don't handle like your internal racist BS and I'm also a hardcore crossdresser. <laughs> so like you're going to be okay with these things if you want to make it to dinner. Any surprising reactions? Um, well, most were just like, oh, no, thanks, which wasn't really surprising. 
rude. That's crazy. Because there's a uh, the stigmatism with with drag in the gay community is again the masculine and feminine because mm-hmm. the gay community is very much about being mask or being the top. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, sweetie, I will put on pumps and make you bite the pillow. Um, <laughs> I find that really interesting and I mean I'll be the first to admit that I don't really know that much about gay male culture I mean like I have lots of lesbian friends I work mostly with women and but I I see that even reflected within the lesbian community there's this big thing about who's the top and, and this sort of thing and more masculine women are seen as being somehow gayer and I think it's all reflective of the idea that somehow femininity and being a woman is a bad thing or less than a man yeah and in the gay community it's all about being masculine and not feminine like i often say to someone who's like oh so you're feminine it's like i am a combination of both i'm some weird cluster chaos in the middle and i'm happy with that i will put on a sequin gown seven inch pumps and i will build you a coffee table (laughs) yes because like i've got a pre-apprenticeship in carpentry so <laughs> multi-talented you just want to stop i just I, I just get bored doing the one thing so i gotta dip my fingers in all the pots <laughs> yeah absolutely but no so it's it's very toxic in in the gay community in that regards obviously not all of it because every community has their their bad pods but yeah okay well i guess what's been the the best part of both your I don't well I don't want to say journey now because now we're reminding everyone of year 12 <laughs> what's been the best part of your experience and time doing drag and being out and living your your best life and I guess also what's been one of the biggest challenges for you well, they're probably both one and the same to be honest it's mm-hmm. finding myself obviously being in the closet you suppress so much of yourself and you suppress anything that's that's remotely feminine you know you deepen your voice you keep your hands in your pocket so as to not give away hand gestures that could be seen as feminine and with drag you need all of that if you're going to give the illusion of being a woman and so it's it's both a challenge and it's it's an exciting challenge i guess i'd I'd definitely say because Mm -hmm. you're kind of unlocking all those parts of you that you locked away apart from you know when britney spears was on and you were in the shower then it was all handbags loose um (laughs) but in public it was very much a different story but it was it was rediscovering all of me and the parts particularly that were locked away because they were considered feminine that i had to work on bringing back out and being comfortable displaying them and it's kind of where drag almost becomes a bit of a shield because it's almost like a i'm in drag it's okay to be like this Mm -hmm. do you think that those ideas of femininity somehow uh, equaling lesser or bad are starting to shatter or do you think we're making any headway i think the the mirror is definitely cracking but i don't mm-hmm. think it's shattered yet yeah um but something tells me that gen z is gonna like destroy that mirror <laughs> i love that i can't wait to see it yeah but no it definitely we're definitely making headway making a lot of cracks you know I'm, I'm currently addicted to tiktok like most people oh same right and just the amount of guys that will just be casually talking and the fact that they're wearing black like black or blue or any colored nail polish but not talking about it yes. they're just going about their video with nail polish on is just one of those is evidence that you know we are making headway like a, there was a, a straight guy and he kept getting comments why do you paint your nails he's like because i can why can't i just because i'm a boy i want pretty nails yeah that's very true and that's a really good example of how things are starting to shift I was like, right on, go. I don't even think I've painted my nails out of drag. Yeah. Well, maybe now you can. You can post that on Instagram. 
Yeah. The biggest part for me with drag is discovering all of me, being comfortable with all of me and letting letting it out. So like out of drag, you'll see like feminine traits and masculine traits because I like to think that I'm just a combination of all of them because to be truly you is a combination of both feminine and masculine. Absolutely. And that's that's human. That's what we all want. Yeah. The amount of men that start doing face masks these days, like I can't even get a foam one because everyone's using them. <laughs> like come on guys i'm wearing two inches of makeup here i need to look after this (laughs) yeah what do you what do you think that you know the younger childhood john would think of seeing uh seeing society the way it is today and seeing you doing all the incredible things you are doing very shocked i think Mm -hmm. i think the first like if i was to somehow travel back and approach i think the first words to come out of my younger self's mouth is who the hell are you And then, like, trying to explain. Uh, I think it would just be, like, a lot of questions. I think it would just be very comforting, like, the idea of having that conversation. Yeah, things might have turned out differently, might have come out sooner, things might have remained the same, who knows. But it's just the idea that of being able to tell my younger self, like, hey, dude, it's cool, chill, things will take care of themselves, relax. Yeah, and that it all works out in the end, hopefully. Yeah, one of my um kind of biggest mantras in life is, you know, everything works out in the end. Yeah, I love that. I think that's a really good thing to remember. I guess touching on, um, you know, younger John and John now doing these wonderful things. So what was it like for you growing up in Newcastle? I mean, I grew up in Wagga Wagga, which is like a regional town in, in you know, regional New South Wales. But I guess yeah. I, when I think of Newcastle, I think of like a similar sort of place to Wagga. Like it's a big place, but also maybe feels small. What was that like for John? I say John like that's someone different because I'm like Jojo John. <laughs> I even do it. Like, I'll be talking about drag and I'll be like, Jojo this, Jojo that. And my partner's like, (laughs) you know you refer to yourself in the third person. I'm like, leave me alone. I compartmentalise. It keeps me less confused. (laughs) Um, So I grew up um, outside of Newcastle in, I guess, what you call the Hunter Valley in a little town called Curry Curry. Uh, The best way I can describe it is me and my siblings were the only Indigenous kids at our school, basically. Well, the only immediately identifiable Indigenous kids in our school. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was pretty average in primary school. It was mostly friends picked on for other things other than my skin, really. And it wasn't until high school that um, you'd have the N-word dropped on you or um, the um, short version of Aboriginal dropped on you. Yeah. And it sucked. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went through a, a little period in year six or year seven where I just didn't want to be Indigenous. Gosh. Didn't want to be brown, didn't want to be coloured, just wanted to be a normal white person, you know, and then the whole Michael Jackson thing. I was like, well, how come he can do it? Why can't I do it? Yeah. What did he do? What What did he use? What's his secret? How can I get some of that? Why can't I just blend in? And then that's heartbreaking. Yeah, thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, that's a bit traumatic. But I kind of, again, I got to a point. I'm like, bugger, I can't fix it. I can't change it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm just gonna get better at insulting people when they insult me. And now you're snappy as fuck. <laughs> yeah, and that's when I discovered what is now called reading. <laughs> <laughs> it's fundamental it is you know everyone would always always comment you know I'd always have a comeback for everything anyone try to insult me and I'd just tear them to shreds not in like a you're a piece of s and f you and all that stuff it'd just be like it's a pretty big word for someone with siblings for parents 
Oh, damn. Or something like that. <laughs> something like that. And I just kind of, I kind of stopped c- crying about it and just started laughing about it. I'm okay. just like, this is hilarious because this is how sad you are that you need to tear me apart to make you feel better about your shitty life. So on one hand, like it was great. On the other hand, I kind of grew up quickly and developed a thick skin quickly. Yeah, I can imagine. And so what do you think now when you see things in the media, like obviously everything that's going on with the Black Lives Matter movement at the moment, all of the crap that Pauline Hanson says, like all of this thing that these things yeah. that we see in the media, what, what sort of reaction do you have now? Oh, mostly just frustration and anger. <laughs> mm-hmm. To be honest, I'll um, mistakenly I'll go through the comment section, uh, particularly on TikTok, because TikTok has quite a large Indigenous community in there. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them young. And so whenever I see a young Indigenous person creating content, I'm straight into their comment section. I'm like, who's saying shit? Who needs to be yeah. pulled back in? <laughs> How do I protect them? I'm not going to stand for this. It, literally, how do I protect them? How do I stop them from going through what I had to go through? Because no one should have to go through that. Mm-hmm. I think I react to it with a sense of, again, needing to protect and mm-hmm. and mostly frustration. Like, I haven't been on Facebook as much as I, again, addicted to TikTok, but mm-hmm. <laughs> mostly just because the shit that gets posted and shared by so like I'm deleting people left right and center because I'm like how did you get here like I'm a gay black drag queen you think like that and we're friends how did you get here and why are you still here which has been amazing because I'm like you know what I don't need these kind of people in my circle like bugger off Mm -hmm. that's good but it's very confronting to like just see that kind of stuff again and again and again and it definitely takes its toll I think when the Black Lives Matter movement started up again, just after, um, uh, around the big Sydney one, sorry. Yeah. Things started getting quite horrible and harsh and it was just mudslinging and ended up having to take a break from all social media for like a week because it was just soul crushing just to see that people still think like, still think the way they do. And yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's good that you were able to take care of yourself and recognize that you did need that break. And I I mean, everyone else should be doing that as well and taking care of ourselves during this time. Yeah. And especially a lot of us girls from the pageant last year, because we still have a very active group chat that we all talk to each other every day. So, like, we're constantly checking on each other. Hey, how are you going? I see you commented on this. How are you feeling? Being friends on Facebook and Facebook being the ultimate, like, stalker telling us what our friends are commenting on. Yes. (laughs) So we're constantly checking in on each other to make sure that everyone's doing okay because we all, it's all just kind of reliving that small part of your life where a lot of that stuff really crushed your soul. Yep. That's true. And it goes to show how much community makes a massive difference in the mental health of our community and people who are queer Indigenous. And I, I see so much crossover between those two communities of culturally, family and community is everything to us. And it's a huge part of our identity. And then the same thing happens in the queer community. You know, you have your chosen family, you have those people who you care about and matter to you and it's wonderful that you're able to connect exactly. and, and be that for other people and have other people be that for you exactly and it's just one of the best parts of the pageant again was just, just yeah you couldn't have said it. i couldn't have said it better myself just having each other as that as that support network i think the biggest piece of advice i could probably give anyone including my younger self is it sucks for what feels like the longest time mm-hmm. and eventually you just don't care Eventually, you just get to a point where, like, you know what? 
I'm going to live my life however I want to because it's my life. I think that's something that I wish I heard a lot earlier growing up, just, you know, obviously my mother always saying, be you, be you, be you, don't be anyone else but you. Mm-hmm. But fully like absorbing those words. And, and now I guess as some of the queens coin it as my catchphrase, <laughs> um, let your fabriginality shine through. I love that. Which, you know, it, it does sound like a cheesy catchphrase, but I'm like, I don't know how else to describe it. Like, let your fabriginality shine through, let your fabulousness shine through, let your indigenous side shine through. Like, these pieces aren't what make all of you. They're just pieces of you that make you you. I'm not just gay. I'm not just a drag queen. I'm not just indigenous. Mm-hmm. I'm a culmination of all of those things and so much more. Amazing. I think that's incredible and the best thing that we can possibly end today's episode on thank you so much for having this chat with me i've absolutely loved learning more about uh jojo's journey and john's journey and being able to share part of yourself with the rest of the coming out black community where can we find you in terms of social media so you can find uh miss jojo zaho on instagram at jojo underscore zaho Mm -hmm. Um, you can find me on Twitter, although I don't really post on there that much. It's Zaho underscore Jojo. And then you can also find me on TikTok where I make a fool of myself for my own entertainment at, I'm pretty sure it's just Jojo Zaho. That's my weekend plan stuff. Oh, and obviously on Facebook. <laughs> but no, thank you so much for having me. It was, it, I, I loved getting deeper than drag as well. I got, I've done a few interviews and, and drag is always the main focus, but I love getting getting deeper and, and underneath drag, which was honestly yeah. so much fun. I really enjoy it. <laughs> oh, good. I'm so glad. Awesome. Okay. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you have a story you want to tell, please get in touch by emailing comingoutblack, that's B-L-A-K at gmail.com, or follow and message us on Instagram at comingoutblack. If you're yet to follow this podcast, please make sure you do and rate and review if you can. We'll chat to you next week with another episode of Coming Out Black.